Lord, you are great and you are worthy of our praise and you are good all the time. Lord, this morning may we feel your weight and your power and your awesomeness and may we also get a sense of your beauty and your goodness. Uh, you designed us for community. And above all, we want you to be famous in all that we do and all that we say. We pray in the name of Jesus, the famous one. Amen. Morning, everybody. How you doing? Hey, Tim. Tim, I could hear you singing up here. That was awesome. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. It's good to hear you singing up here. Uh, wow, a couple of things. Um, yesterday, I know some ladies got together and worked on little dresses for Africa where, what, take pillowcases and make dresses for young ladies who have a hard time accessing, getting that kind of thing. I think that's really awesome. So for the ladies who showed up and did that yesterday, that's all part of restoring all things to God, one person, one place at a time, right? So that's really, that's really awesome. Hey, something for the college students. If anybody's here that's a college student, I want to meet you and I want to hear from you. <laughs> and that's a good thing, not like I want to meet you. I want to hear from you. I've got a lot of questions. Um, and what I, I want to do lunch after church on Sunday, March 24th at 1230. So if you're interested, I want you to text CLUNCH, whatever that means. That's supposed to be college lunch. But I want you to text C-L-U-N-C-H to 620-288-1158. So if you're a college student and if you want to be there, I do. I want to hear some, I want to just uh, meet with you for an hour or so, so if you would do that. Hey, one other thing. Um, we're going to do two more weeks on this series on our journey onward, and then we're going to do a new series that's going to run through Easter. And this is, for me, is very significant for a couple of reasons. Um, really three things that I have in mind with this. Um, we talked about the kingdom is God's story of creation, corruption, restoration, right? With redemption being the core of it all. And I want that story to get in our blood so much that we're actually going to do, we're going to go through that story through the Bible in depth. Um, so that's to get us grounded even more in that narrative of what God's doing in the world. So our lives, we're knowing like where we fit in His story. But it's, it's more than that. When I did this a few years ago on a one Sunday thing, and when I, usually when I'm first meeting somebody and they have spiritual interest, the first thing I do is I go through the story of God with them. Jordan and I were just talking this week. He had a student that was needing to hear, like, the good news. And I said, you've got to start with the story. You've got to tell her the whole story, and then you can focus in on whatever part of that. And so we're going to do this, and this is a way for you to learn how to share this with somebody. If anybody ever starts asking you questions, this is always the first thing I do. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna do it in five parts. So you know the five parts in depth. And then on Easter Sunday, I'm gonna do the whole story one more time because that's a day a lot of people show up who are only here once a year, right? And I want them to hear the whole story. And so that's going to be kind of a, an evangelistic push. Does that make sense that day? 
I'm wanting people to know what God's doing in the world. And so, but here's the thing you can do. So it can, I think it'll help us know his narrative. I think it can help you know how to share this with somebody in a very easy, compelling way. And we're wanting to build to that Easter. But there's no need to just build to Easter. Um, we have made post, not postcards, yeah, postcards. So on your way out, we're going to give every one of you a postcard. We'll have some next week. And here's our challenge. I want to challenge you, if you're in a relationship with somebody, you know, don't, don't just force this on somebody in a weird way that they never want to hang out with you again. But if you know somebody that you think they've asked questions, they seem to have a spiritual interest. I want to challenge you to give them a postcard and say, hey, you ought to be here for this. And March 17th, April 21, we're just going to go through that whole story. So on your way out, you're going to get a postcard. We'll have some for the next two weeks. But pretty excited about that. Lisa Hubner designed this. Isn't that amazing looking? Is Lisa still here? Is she in the house? She did a really good job with that. So that's kind of, that's what's coming up. Uh, and so we're continuing with, with this journey onward. Um, as you can tell, I've been, I've been trying to lay a lot of big rocks these weeks, the things that are most important to me that I think are foundational for us moving forward. Um, you know, we've talked about our captain. We've talked about um, our quest, which is the kingdom of God. One is restoring all things to God, one person, one place at a time. Um, our quest being God's forming and conforming us, making us into kingdom people, right? So we talked about the kingdom because we're trying to build a biblical community of kingdom people. We talked about being people who are formed into His image, who are known as followers of Jesus' way once we come to know Him. So we want to be a kingdom people. We talked last week that anytime you're on a journey, you need a map, you need companions, and you need a guide. And we talked about the map. And what is our map? It's the Word of God, that this, this, His Word is what we use in determining our course and everything. That is the map to show us the big picture and to show us how to live in our daily reality. So we're building a biblical community of kingdom people. And so today I want to talk about on a journey, you need, you've got your quest, we have our captain, but we need, we need a map, we need companions, and we need a guide. I want to talk about companions today. Because we're building a biblical community of kingdom people. Um, you know, on any journey you need companions, and it's so on our quest with God. Um, in Genesis 2.18, we're told when God created the first man, He said it's not good for Him to be alone. So we, we, are, we are created to live in relationship with other people. If you look in the early book of Acts, it says... Um, I haven't done this thing in a while, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. Selling possessions and goods they gave to anyone as they needed. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of the people. You can see in the, this early community, being together in homes was very important to them, right? And it should be with us. So what I want to do today is I want to take... The, I want to take 
as a basis of talking about companions. The story of Jonathan and David and their friendship. And I want to look at that. If you don't know their story, we're going to be in 1 Samuel. If you want to go home today, it's in 1 Samuel chapter 8 to 31, almost the whole book, but if you want to get the whole story of their life. But in looking at his friendship, I just want to identify, or there's, to me, there's three components of their relationship that I want to talk about. And there's a handout, I mean, a, a thing, whatever, in the bulletin for this, if you want to take notes. First one was, is they had affection. I mean, you've got to have that with companions, right? You've got to like each other. It helps. You know, 1 Samuel 18 says, after David had finished talking with Saul, this is right after Goliath. He's been brought to the palace. It's his first time with Saul and David and Jonathan, Saul the king, Jonathan the son, the prince. And it says, they, they finished talking, and it says that Jonathan became one in spirit with David. He loved him as a self. He loved him as a self twice. Interesting, in the, the Hebrew, it's God knit their hearts together, literally. God knit their hearts. We're told in chapter 19 that Jonathan had taken a great liking to David. And again in 2017, that Jonathan loved him as he loved himself. So they had that, that foundational thing of the affection. But it wasn't just Don, Jonathan, it was David too. Um, well, I mean here, Jonathan, at his, the way his father treated David, he was grieved, which shows that affection. But it's also David. It's not just Don, Jonathan, it was a two-way street. Um, one of the last times they met together when David was having to flee before they left, they kissed each other. And I know to us that sounds kind of weird, but if you know Middle Eastern guys, that's pretty common, right? Pretty common with them. It's not on the lips. It's a, it's a cheek kind of thing. But they wept together. And what's to say about David that he wept the most? So he had great affection for Jonathan. And... After Jonathan had died, he wrote a song to his friend where he said, I grieve for you. So just as Jonathan grieved, he grieved for you, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. So these two guys had great affection. And we know that. For companions, you've got to have that for the road, right? You need that infection. Affection, not infection. Affection. <laughs> we were just with the with the Steinmans last night, heard Maggie's sick, so maybe I got an infection from her. I'm not sure. We'll see. Um, so you've got that mutual love, but there's got to be more to it, more than that. So the next quality I see in their relationship is they not only had affection, but they had humility. Um, after David finished talking again when they first met, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. And Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and he gave it to David, along with his tunic, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now, what was Jonathan in the, in the whole social structure of that world? Jonathan saw his dad was king, so Jonathan was what? Prince number two in that whole country. And David, what was David? What was his vocation at this time? He was a shepherd. In their culture, that was the lowest job you could have. And even though there was this huge social divide between them, Jonathan had the humility that as God was knitting his heart for him, he had the, the humility to step down and to, we would say, to step down to bring David up into relationship with himself. Great humility, even giving him these kingly things to him. Um, later, 
when, when some stuff's going on and Saul's chasing David, he says, don't be afraid. My father, will, Saul, will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel. And look at what he says. I will be second to you. Now, he's second in the kingdom. But he says, I'm going to be second to you. Look, the humility is amazing. But it's not just Jonathan. Look at the humility of David. One time when they met, when they came together, it says, David bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. So even though David had been anointed by Samuel to be the true king, Jonathan had the position of authority. Remember we talked about the first sermon, being under authority? Even though God had appointed David to be the true king, Jonathan was the one in authority at this time as prince, and David honors that by bowing three times. He, David, even before he's, anointed, before he's made king, is still living under the authority God put over him and showing honor. So they had humility. That's pretty cool. They also had honesty. They shared everything. And Jonathan was willing to tell David the worst, even the hardest stuff. I mean, he came to him one time and he says, hey, my dad's looking out to kill you. You know, 100% told him the truth. Jonathan told David the whole conversation that he had with his dad, where his dad was wanting to hunt David down and kill him. There was a time in 1 Samuel 20, I love this conversation, you'd have to read the whole thing in verses 1 to 9, where David said, later, he says, hey, your dad's trying to kill me, and Jonathan's like, no, no, never, my dad, he's not going to do that, he wouldn't do that without letting me know, this isn't true, and they have a little bit of a disagreement, and what I love about it is both of them are willing to give their, the whole 100, we, have you ever heard the, the, the final 10%, not just say the 90% and you leave the last off. I mean, David's like, he's going to kill me. And Jonathan's like, no, never. That's not true. And David says, your father knows I found favor in your eyes. And he said to himself, Jonathan must not know. He said, your dad's lying to you. He's hiding things from you. And Jonathan ends up saying, hey, okay, then whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. Whatever you want me to do. If I had the least inkling my father was determined to harm you, wouldn't I tell you? So there, theirs was a relationship of full, 100% honesty. It was a relationship of loyalty, of loyalty, commitment, dependability. Because we're told that Jonathan made a covenant with David that they showed unfailing kindness to each other, like the Lord's kindness. As long as I live... Again, made a covenant with David. David reaffirms his oath out of love for him. You see that loyalty, that commitment in their relationship, that stick to that long-term thing. Jonathan says, remember, the Lord is witness between you and me for how long? Forever. This is a long-term friendship that they have. Jonathan said to David, I went, go in peace, for we have short, we have." sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord. The Lord is witness between you and me, between our, my, your descendants and my descendants forever. So they showed great loyalty to each other. They were fully committed to each other. They were there for each other day in, day out, no matter what. And again, we see this making a covenant before the Lord. Something I really love about their relationship is after Jonathan dies, because remember back here, 
that they promised to care for their descendants forever after Jonathan dies when David doesn't have to keep that commitment. That we're told that David asks, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? So even after Jonathan had died, David kept his commitment that he had made to him. Two more things that I think to me stand out, and we're going to get to the big ones. They guarded, protected, and looked out for each other. You know, you see Saul telling his son, and all it tends, I'm going to kill David. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David, and he warned him, so he warned him, my father is looking for a chance to kill you, so be on your guard, go into hiding. You see how he's, he's looking out for him, he's protecting him, he's looking out for his good. Um... Later, when, they, when they're having this conversation where, where they were kind of disagreeing, where Jonathan says, hey, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. If my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. His whole intent is to, to keep him alive. He's guarding and protecting him, looking out for him. He not only looks out for David's welfare and protects him, warns him, but he stands up for him around other people. Because Saul said, as long as son of Jesse, the son of Jesse lives on earth, neither you or your kingdom will be established. Send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. And Jonathan, and his dad's kind of crazy, we're going to see in a minute, he stands up to him. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? So he's publicly supporting his friend David. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, not just guarding his reputation, but speaking well of him. Why would you do wrong to an innocent man like David, killing him for no reason? And what I love about this one is he, Saul listened to Jonathan, and he says, as surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death, and he changes his mind. And he brought him to Saul, and David was with Saul as before. So he's doing, he's not only protecting and guarding him, to, you know, warning him and all of that, but he's trying to even restore relationships, protect him in that way. And their relationship was very unselfish, sacrificial. This giving of Jonathan of all of his kingly things to David was very unselfish. When later he says to him, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it for you. And he was so unselfish and sacrificial in his friendship to David that he put his life on the line. One time when he's talking to his dad, why should he be put to death? What's he done? Jonathan asked his father. And I mean, if you know the story, Saul hurled his spear at his own son to kill him, putting his life on the line. That's how sacrificial he was. And then the last time they met, Jonathan goes to David when David's in hiding. Saul has spies all over the land trying to hunt him down and find him. And at the risk of his own life, Jonathan goes to him in hiding, finds him, he went to David to help, find, to help him, sorry, find strength in God. 
but he goes to him when it's at risk, you know, his life was at stake. Proverbs 17.7 says, A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity, right? That's the kind of relationship Jonathan had with them. Um, there's two other things to me that are even more significant about their relationship. And it's this idea of, that's on that sheet, what Stephen Mansfield calls a covenant friendship. I want to take it a little deeper, a covenant friendship. Three times they made a covenant together. In chapter 8, 18, in chapter 20, and in chapter 23. Three times they made a covenant, an agreement with each other. That's why Mansfield calls it a covenant relationship. It was a relationship that was an agreement to have a relationship with each other that was centered around who? Before the Lord, a covenant before the Lord. Jonathan said, the Lord is witness between you and me forever. Jonathan said, the Lord, twice later he says it again. The two of them made a covenant before who? Before the Lord. Jonathan said to David, we've sworn friendship with each other in the name of who? The Lord, saying, the Lord is witness between you and me and our descendants, your descendants and our descendants forever. They had this relationship that was not just a normal friendship with affection and humility and honesty and those things, but they had a covenant friendship where they had made an agreement that their friendship was going to be one based on their mutual love and admiration and desire for the fame of the Lord. And I want to show you two things that, that flowed, came out of that relationship, out of that covenant friendship. They strengthen and encourage each other spiritually. Saul's son, we're told in Samuel, 1 Samuel 23, Jonathan went to David at Horish when he was on the run, far from home. And what did he do? He helped him to find strength in God. Find strength in God. And he says specifically, don't be afraid. David would, at his lowest moment, needing somebody to point him back to God to help strengthen him in the Lord, because we all have struggles and questions, times where we're not sure what's going on and where's God and all this. And Jonathan, at his own risk, when the spies out in the land, goes to him to strengthen him in the Lord. Jordan had mentioned in 1 Samuel 36, we're told that David strengthened himself in the Lord. But sometimes you get to the point that you can't even strengthen yourself in the Lord, right? And you need a companion or guys, covenant friends, who will come to you and strengthen you in the Lord. Constant source of encouragement, Jonathan was. Steve's David at his lowest moment, and he brings him encouragement because that's what covenant friends do. They instill strength and encouragement in the Lord with each other. There was one more thing about their relationship. Yeah, I was going to tell you. I have this cool thing about Clint Boyer. Yeah, did you know, did you guys see all the wrecks last week, by the way? That was crazy. Uh, you know, in NASCAR, they're not only talking to their, their uh, dude. Who's the dude? The boss dude. The what? 
Yeah, crew chief. They've got a spotter. They've got a guy who's up higher who's seeing things from up above, who's talking in their ear. And I saw a thing where Clint Boyer was up in KC a few years ago, and they printed some of the words. I'm going to go ahead and do this. Is that okay? The spotter. And they're speaking more inspiration, some strategy. But here's some things that he said to Clint. Uh, hey, give your, give your belt a tug, dude. Still got a lot of racing to do. Nice and smooth. You got a good car here. Hey, let's focus here. We're in front of the hometown. I like that. Uh, you hear how much faster you are than these guys? Keep it straight. Keep it straight. Hey, we don't have to race anybody today. Just be smart. All good. You're all good. That's it. Come on. Drive that thing. Get your rhythm back. One time he even said, hey, don't hang out with that guy. Don't hang with that guy. He's trouble. <laughs> yeah, we saw a lot of that last week. You know, and it's the same with a covenant friend. They're in our ear. They're spotting. They see what's going on in our lives, and they know when they need to speak encouragement into our lives. And then their relationship was all for a larger purpose. It was for God's purpose. What's amazing to me about them is they were committed to a greater cause than their friendship. It was not only about walking with God together, but it was about living for God's larger purposes. Not just walking together with God, but living for His larger purposes. They were bound by an undying devotion to God's mission, because God did have a mission for that nation. And in their combating, their fighting with the Philistines, they were, they were living for God's mission. They were on mission with Him. That's why in 1 Samuel 14, we see Saul... I mean, Jonathan attacking an outpost of Philistines when his dad wouldn't do anything because Jonathan was on mission with God. And that's why in 1 Samuel 17, we see David take on Goliath because David was on mission with God. So they not only were walking with God together, they were living for a larger purpose. And I think that's what first drew Jonathan to David and created that affection. And here's how we know they were living for a larger cause than just their friendship. Because there was a white elephant in the room in their relationship. In 1 Samuel 20, here's what Saul says to, to, to Jonathan. As long as the son of Jesse lives on earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. As long as that guy's alive, you will never become king, Jonathan. And Jonathan knew that, and everybody knew that. David was the person standing between Jonathan and the thing that everybody thought that he rightly deserved. He was the rightful heir, and yet Jonathan voluntarily surrendered his right to the throne at a cost to himself. No jealousy, no envy, no insecurity. Jonathan knew that God had anointed David to be king, that that was his destiny, and he was willing to sacrifice himself for David to become the thing God created him to be. Isn't that amazing? Just like John the Baptist with Jesus, you must increase and I must decrease. I mean, look at this. When Jonathan, do you realize what was happening? I kind of kept my cards close to the vest. When he gave him all that kingly stuff, do you know what Jonathan was saying? You're the true king, and I'm living to make you the true king. And then later, I mean, we've read this several times, when Jonathan goes to him and he says, my father will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel. I will be second to you. Even dad knows this, that I'm living for God's purposes in your life. That's amazing to me. He wanted God's purposes for David's life, even if it cost him everything. 
He was completely devoted to God's intent for David. Jonathan's whole purpose was elevating David to the place that God wanted in his life. And by doing so, Jonathan fulfilled his intended role that God created him to do, which was to be a part of David becoming what God wanted David to do. And here's what's cool, is the truth is God used the covenant friendship between these two men not only to to fill up their lives with this brotherhood and this love, but to position one of them to become one of the greatest kings in history. Their covenant friendship literally shaped the course of history. Tim, why don't you come up here? And here's what I want to challenge all of us, okay? Is we too should have friends who help us to live into what God fully intends for us. Real friends help each other pursue their call even at their expense. These are some of Tim's covenant friends. You all set, Tim? I mean, just 95. Here's, uh, I mean, this is a living example of what you just saw of what covenant friends are like. Tim, can you hold this for me for a second? Thank you, sir. We were going to do this up here, but Tim had a seizure yesterday, and so we kind of had to, to rig this up. Is that okay? We do it down here this morning. But we need people in our lives who who call us to live for God's purposes and who support us in that. Does that make sense? That's what a covenant friend is. And that's why I love Jonathan. He's my favorite, one of my favorite Old Testament characters because he was willing to play second fiddle to David's first fiddle. And that's what all great spiritual friendships, those are the qualities that covenant friendships have. Honesty, humility, loyalty, of course affection. They guard and protect each other. They're sacrificial and selfish. But more importantly, they walk with God together, encouraging and strengthening each other spiritually. And they help each other to live fully into the life God intends for them. Before Tim and I talk, just one more thing, if you don't mind. I don't want you to get the idea that it was just all about David and Jonathan, because we know from 1 Samuel 22 that David had companions a whole slew of covenant friends. Jonathan was simply the best and closest companion among a whole band of brothers. So we don't just need one covenant friend. We need covenant companions to help us on the way because none of us can ascend to our best selves in our God-given purpose without companions. So Tim, to me, you're a great example of this whole concept of covenant friendship, not just you, thank you, but the men who've been around you. We know a lot of them. Yeah. You told me when you first came to 12, what year was that? November of 02. And you, well, we don't need to talk about that. You were in another church before. Right. And when you came here, you told me, how many guy, true guy friends did you have when you first showed up? Really none. I don't think that's uncommon for guys. I really didn't have a lot of really close buddies. 
Yeah, how old were you at that time? <laughs> 36 or something. Wow, 36. Yep. But now I'm only 29. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tim's going, going backwards. But sadly, I'm take, like the, it's the reverse effect with me. I'm, I'm, I'm going the opposite direction. Um, yeah, interesting that he said that because, um, you know, the statistics used to be that by the time a man, especially men, were 50, they had no close friends. I just read recently that in the last 20 years, that has come down to the 40s and even into the 30s, that most men no longer have a close friend. So that's even, your life is kind of an example. So tell me, what happened? I mean, so you came here and what what ended up changing here? Yeah, so 12th used to have pitch night. Get together and play pitch at people's houses and met some people. And uh, I was trying to think. Yeah. Oh, and then life group. A bunch of my close buddies now were in a life group back then. Yeah. Which we talk here about you ought to be involved in a life group. Yeah. And that's the benefit of it. You and I met up there. I mean, we met before, but yeah. you and Christy, the international class used to be up here, and you guys showed up one day, started becoming a part of that, and then out of that, what'd we start doing? So then Garen and I played racquetball two to three times a week for eight or nine years. You talk about a tremendous friendship. So we had little spiritual conversations in between games, and a few really neat times we were in between games and somebody else, a stranger. I don't know how they knew we were People of faith must have heard us talking, but they talked to us about stuff going on in their life. Yeah. We prayed for them. Yeah, we had some pretty, pretty intense conversations between games, after games, before games. We sure did. So, Tim, you've had kind of a run of some tough stuff for a few <laughs> years, right? That's true. How, I mean, there's a lot, there are guys in here, I, I, we know there are several guys in here that we would call your covenant companions. What, how have they helped walk with you Yeah. through all this? You know, the initial thing was I got out of brain surgery and whatnot in KU Med, eventually got transferred down here to Newman's, and all these buddies of mine were in my hospital room supporting me and praying with me. And that's really saying something. That's up in Kansas City. That's not that easy for you just when you got a wife and kids or whatever to just pick up and drive to Kansas City to see somebody of yours. But it was sure meaningful. And I was thinking I was so desperate to get out of the hospital. When I finally got out of Newman Hospital, Christy drove me out to the house and as we pulled up to the garage, she looked in the rearview mirror and one of my buddies had pulled up right behind us. Had kind of timed it to celebrate that special moment with me. That was pretty neat. What did you tell me the other day about that hospital, the guys being at the hospital several oh, times? Oh, yeah. So all these buddies of mine came up to the hospital. They spent more time seeing me in the hospital than my real brothers did. And that's not saying anything bad about my real brothers. They were all there, too, but... These guys are, oh, over the weekend I came up with a name for this group of guys, which is Brotherhood of Believers. I mean, that's basically what they are. They're my brothers. And the believers is critical. 
Hopefully, you know, if you're going to get counsel and support and advice from somebody and your focus on life is faith and being a believer, then your advisors need to be believers as well because their advice is totally different. They're giving you advice from the same perspective that you're trying to live from. Yeah. What are some other ways that those covenant friends have come around you these few years? Any other significant moments, events, yeah. things? That I can remember one of them having a cancer scare. I don't remember if it was a biopsy or what. We're waiting for the results. And I drove to town and went over to their house and prayed with them. And well, when somebody does it, just kind of out of the blue, that really means something to you. And then we do a lot of texting when stuff comes up, uh, especially early in the morning. I'm always texting, getting feedback from them. And then we've had uh, job issues and business issues. And they're trusted people. I can trust them with facts about a job and try to get their advice. Same with business stuff. And then uh, also on family issues, teenager issues. <laughs> and you can imagine what those issues might be, but they can be really tough issues. And this, this brotherhood of believers, those are the guys I look to. And fortunately, many of them have already gone through those times with their kids. So they do have some real life experience, yeah. which helps. And there have been some holy moments on your porch, haven't there? Oh, I meant to say that too, yeah. Right after I got diagnosed with cancer, these guys were out on my front porch, sitting next to me, even holding my hand. Yep, two guys, believe it or not. And praying with me and talking to me and giving me scriptures to encourage me and giving me other devotional type meditation thoughts to bolster me up. Just tremendously helpful. Yeah. Any other things you would say to this family here this morning just related to this topic? Yeah, the main thing is you just, it takes effort. Developing a deep relationship with somebody takes effort. It doesn't just happen by accident. So you basically have to keep your eyes open for somebody that has something in common with you. Ask them to go out, Sunday morning, ask them to go out to coffee or lunch. I got a new recent buddy here in church, and we found out we have something in common. He has a son who has a glioblastoma brain tumor, which is what I had. So we got to talking, and it didn't take a few days, and we had lunch together, which I had a great time. It's not like it's a job or something. <laughs> it's fun to get to know people and do stuff together. And over time, you start developing a relationship. Oh, and so then um, I pray for these guys and their wives and their marriages and their kids. But they'll tell you in the last week or so, I've texted a number of them and said, hey, what are the names of your kids? I can't pray for them by name if I don't know who they are. And to me, that's more meaningful if somebody's praying for your kids by name. So you got to know them well enough to know who their family is. Are their folks still alive? Or that's when you're old like me. They might not be. <laughs> and uh, how many kids do they have? And who are they? And do they have siblings? I'm always really interested in siblings. 
brothers and sisters pretty important to me. You mind if I share a few last words, a challenge please, to everybody? Please, Can we let Tim give him our thanks for... Thank you. And we're going to conclude in a minute with a prayer time for Tim. Uh, I just want to say a few more things, if I may, just kind of to wrap up. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I can show all this on here. Tim kind of said it, but this, you know, these kind of friendships don't come naturally. They require intentionality and initiative. That's what Tim said. You've got to be putting yourself in environments where you can meet people. Small groups, coming to men's ministry stuff, women's ministry things, when we have big church cookouts or whatever, come into those things. I'm an introvert. You know that? I am an introvert by nature. And when I moved here in 90, you should have seen how introverted I was at that time. And, but I continued to push into places I didn't feel comfortable because I knew by being intentional, that's the only way you meet people. That's the only way you can have your heart knit to somebody and develop a, an affection or a sense of commonality, that then you can build the relationship. So it's got to be organic. Um, that's what happened to them. It, they became one in spirit. So there's got to be organic, but that organic will never happen if you're not putting yourself in places where it can happen. And then it takes the intentionality of, I would say, pursuit and commitment. That's what I love about Tim, is he, when he gets to know somebody, he pursues them. Larry Finley is a great example. When Larry moved to town, Tim pursued Larry, and now Larry's in our community. We played racquetball, and now Larry's a dear friend of both of us. So it takes that pursuit, and it takes the intentionality of commitment of, hey, let's get together, let's play every week two or three times, and let's share, and let's do other things. So um, I just think this is all extremely important to it. So I'm not asking you guys to go make a blood covenant, you know. I used to do that. Remember, I don't know if the girls do that, but guys, cut your finger and put it on the paper when we were kids. I'm not asking you to make a blood covenant. But what I am challenging you to do is we've got to be a community on a journey. We need companions, don't we? We need companions to intentionally put yourself in environments and places where you can organically meet people. And then as you find your heart knit to them, you, you become intentional in pursuing and committing to a relationship. Because that's what we want to do. We want to be building a biblical community of people. A biblical community of people. When we first moved here in 90, we got asked within our first two weeks to join a small group. And I was so uncomfortable with my introversion. It happened that it was the Gimples. And from that, that thing of going to it, developed a great relationship with them, with Ranny, with the Kitchens who happened to be there. Going to Pine Cove, Phil, Phil Metzger was in the van with me, and then Phil Metzger and I had the old Dorito episode, which is one of the funniest things of my life, and we become great friends through that. You know, uh, Scott Waters, Tim, through ministry, racquetball, became close friends with Scott Youngman, just volunteering to pick him up at the airport, and two hours here, a drive, was the beginning of a great bond. You know, Brad Vickery, Kitchens, Finley, those guys, Steve Lowen, who knows how I became friends with Steve. I... I can't remember, Steve, but that's just, that's what I'm, I'm asking us to do as a community. So I have a question. I want to know, do you have, do you have a small group of companions you're traveling with on this journey? Do you have some regular companions that you're traveling with, some covenant friends? And among that group, do you have one or two like Jonathan's, Right? people that you're really, your heart's knit too deeply. 
and you walk together very deeply. Do you have any deep covenant friends that help you in your walk with God? And again, if not, start plugging yourself in the different environments here. Again, men's ministry, women's ministry, life groups, the big, the big events we do. And praying and asking God to start to bring you organically into the life of somebody. So, my challenge is this, that just on any journey, any quest, we need companions, don't we? You need guys, gals, to, so to speak, sit around the fire, right? Talk about the day's journey, laugh, cry, help on the day's trip. You know, when somebody's hurt, you help them out, pull each other up and over the rocks, all of that kind of stuff. Each contributing, each playing a role, each helping each other along the way. We all need companions on this journey. Now, if you're new here this morning or you've been coming to 12 for like a month or so, still aren't quite in this community yet or not sure what, if this is going to be your family, I'm not, this quote's not for you. This is for people that have been here a while, okay? John Eldridge says, going to church with hundreds of other people to sit and hear a sermon doesn't ask much of you. It certainly will never expose you. That's why most folks prefer it, because community will ask much of you. It will reveal where you have yet to become holy, right at the very moment you're so keenly aware of how they have yet to become holy. It will bring you close, and you will be seen, and you'll be known. And therein lies the power, and therein lies the danger. We have settled for safety in numbers, a comfortable anonymous distance, an army that keeps meeting for briefings but never breaks into platoons and goes to war. And Henry Nouwen says that apart from a vital relationship with caring community, a vital relationship with Christ is not possible. Not, not possible. You need a fellowship on every journey. All the great stories, right? The Pevensies, the Fellowship of the Ring, Robin and his merry men, the three, the four musketeers, the Knights of the Round Table, Flintstones. <laughs> I forget those guys. Forget those guys. Oh, I, oh, sorry, Joyce. She loves the. But you don't you don't we need people to journey together with? People to play with, play together, eat together, second, third breakfast, laugh together, cry together, fight together, fail together, suffer defeats together. With God, have victory together. Even Jesus had a band of brothers. He had a crowd of 70. He had the 12 that was his band of brothers. He had three that were really close, and he had a best friend. He had a Jonathan in John. We all need companions. We all need covenant friends. One last word, if you don't mind, because we all need it. But I want to talk for a minute to the men. Can I do that? Can I talk to the men here? Men, we need a band of brothers. And again, most men now, by your mid-30s and your 40s, you've just gotten so busy with life and work and kids and family that most of us no longer have friends, deep covenant friends, and we need them desperately. We need them desperately. We need a band of brothers. And I just, for all the men, I really want to challenge you to take this to heart because men, you cannot ascend to the kind of person God wants you to be 
and walk how He wants you to walk alone. You can't do it. It can't be done. That's why Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We need men. We need men in our lives. And I really challenge you that if you don't have that, that you start taking those steps, intentionally getting in environments to where God can allow you to organically connect with somebody and then you begin to intentionally pursue them and intentionally to commit to a covenant friendship. Tim is one of my covenant friends. Has been for a long time. Like my Jonathan. And I've got several. Can we pray for Tim as we wrap up? Could you stand with me? I want to pray for Tim. Christy, come on up. Abby, come on up. Can we all, can we all put our hands out? This isn't like some spiritual power, but like that we're praying. Can we do this? Can we all, all put our hands out and can we offer a prayer for Tim and his family? Lord, we pray for these guys. We pray that you would continue to strengthen and uphold them as a family, that you would, we long for your healing in Tim's life and the full restoration. That's our cry and our heart's prayer. We pray for strengthening for him because there are up and down days and there are days the journey's tough. So we pray that you would continue to strengthen him and you. We pray for Christy, for all the weight she carries and the care and all of that and how heavy it gets and we just pray for your strength in her life your encouragement to her. And Abby, I, I, just the children all just kind of walk quietly, seeing all of this, and it's, it's hard on them. And we pray for all the children, for, for Jacob and Elizabeth and Abby, that you would also strengthen and be with them in this journey. Lord, thank you that you want to call us your friend and that you created us to have friends. So I pray, Lord, that we would become a community of people full of companions and covenant friends who help each other walk on this journey. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, who was one of a band of brothers. Amen. Okay, you're dismissed.